So as we did with Advent, I want to start this sermon and uh, follow, follow through throughout Advent with some explanations of what's going on and where we get the stories that we tell. Last week in the sanctuary, we greened the sanctuary. We hung decorations. And as we did so, we meditated on the meaning of all of them. We said, why is it that we pick these things to hang up other than, rather than other things? And there were a lot of different things in that sermon, in that um, service, that you can take a look at. You know, for instance, the Christmas on the tree with a lot of Christian symbols. I think there's still a guide back on the table. And so that's a thing that we need to do every once in a while in church to stop and say, why is it that suddenly we have purple paraments or hangings, if you don't know the word paramet, in the sanctuary? Why is it that we have greens and poinsettias? And why is it that we do all the other things that we do? Well, one of the things that's interesting about the Gospel of Mark in the beginning of it is that it sort of sets out the task that the Gospel writers are doing, right? that it shows in this very beginning what is about to happen in this story that is told and sets up the story for how the readers are supposed to understand it and what tradition it comes out of. And so in Mark, we hear this, the beginning of the good news. This is where we hear the term gospel for the first time. Gospel, which is a genre of writing, most uh, best exemplified in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This was not a thing before Mark wrote it down right here. The good news about Jesus Christ, God's son, happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. So we have this new story, but immediately we say, while this is a new story, it is a story for this time, it is part of a much bigger story. So the first thing we're doing is saying this story, which is new, which you will not have heard before, which happened, is a continuation of this much older story. So it happened in Isaiah first that we said there will be a prophet that says, make straight the way of the Lord. So immediately we see we are locating this story in a tradition. We are saying this is new for ourselves. We must adapt what was an older tradition. And what was the older tradition? Well, we have John the Baptist being the prophet of God. And there's some symbology here that says this is something that is part of an old story. This is a story that you know. And the story is this. Prophets in the Old Testament tended not to be very popular. They tend to live places like the desert. They tended not to smell very good. They tended to say things people didn't like very well. They challenged power in cities. What happens when you challenge power? You get run out of town. That's the nature of power. So that's the history of much of Old Testament prophecy. And immediately we are saying John is the inheritor of that prophecy. And that is the story we're going to tell. Here we have, again, an Old Testament prophet, but he's telling, he is fulfilling something that was prophesied a long time ago. But then we have a twist in Mark that shows us this time it will be different. And I think this is a literary twist. I don't actually believe it happened this way. But it says, everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. What we see here is this time all the powerful in Jerusalem listened to the words of the prophet, came out and sought to be renewed, sought in some different translations to repent. 
sought to find something in John's words. And this is the message that this story is going to be a little bit different. This is going to be the story where the people listen in the end and not just run the prophet out of town. Well, that's not quite the way the story turns out. Looking ahead to Easter, they run Jesus out of town as it turns up and up onto a cross. John the Baptist has an even less uh, pleasant end, as it turns out. And so that happens. But what we're saying here is that it's time. It's time for the change that we've been waiting for since Isaiah. It is time for God to come down and live through us in the world for a change. And this is what they're doing in this gospel story. And this is why there are certain things about the words that both Isaiah and John choose that are interesting. It's interesting, I was talking with some of my ministry colleagues, and there is a Hebrew word, nakam, which is what is used for Isaiah to mean comfort. But this does not mean comfort as in, I am comfortable in my seat in front of my television set. No, I wish that were so. This is the comfort that means, I know that I can handle what is coming gather strength. And Isaiah is clear about why we should gather strength. God does not think you owe God anything. You are a loved child of God and can move forward. Comfort in the strength that comes from being a loved child of God, that comes from the power of God's love in you. And the funny thing about Naham is that it also means repent. Both comfort, gather strength, and repent. And in this writing, in this context of John, which is, of course, the context of occupied Judea, where we have Israel living under the military occupation of the greatest military power the world had ever seen, the Roman Empire, which said, you go with us or die. You people should fear the wrath of Rome. You people should be afraid of what is happening. You people should not have strength, for we will defeat you. This is the context of John's prophecy. So one of the things he is saying here is gather strength and be not afraid. Repent from your fear, especially those of you who have some power in the city, power that you get from the empire, even though you are not Romans. Repent from fear. And this is the story, the true story of the Gospels, that we have the power inside of us to overcome the fear that we have of other people around us, the fear that we have of institutions around us, the fear that we have of being all that God wants us to be and living God's power in the world. We have the power to overcome that. Dennis read in today's Advent uh, liturgy, When human beings begin to see other human beings as their enemies, it is amazing what we can do in the name of our hatred. And I would say also in the name of our fear. For John is saying, we can overcome the fear that the Romans have of us with love. 
We can overcome the fear that we have of them and the fear that we have of being in even worse situations than we have now of love. We can live the message that Jesus will eventually tell us that we read two weeks ago when Jesus said, the righteous, when I was hungry, fed me. The righteous, when I was naked, clothed me. The righteous, when I was in prison, visited me. It is hard to do these things. It is hard to visit those in prison. It is hard for us to clothe the naked and feed the hungry. And it is even harder for us to put that all together and overcome our own fear of one another to seek justice in the world. Because in this time, in this place, we have a lot of problems that we need to overcome. The problems start in each of our hearts, in the fear that we feel toward other people. And we know this is true if you've been reading the news, watching the news. We have a problem in this country where we are so afraid of black men that there are few consequences for white people killing them. It's a country problem. It's not a police problem specifically. It's not a gun problem specifically. It's a problem that throughout our history from the beginning, we have been afraid. So we enslaved them. We were afraid they would get out. We passed laws. They couldn't be free. Then we had a civil war. And then we were afraid, and so we passed laws that restricted their power. Then we were afraid, and so when the New Deal came about, it excluded a lot of black people. Then we had the civil rights movement, and the story we like to tell ourselves is that we finally got it right. But if you read stories from the Civil War, and you read stories from the turn of the century, and you read stories from civil rights, and if you read Dara Wilson's testimony, you see the same themes coming up again, that we are afraid. We are afraid these people are superhuman and can overcome anything that we do to them. So we are afraid. And when it comes time for a court case, when it comes time to tell the story, other people listen and say, I understand how you felt. Obviously, you were afraid and needed to protect yourself. From the man who attacks you in your police car. From the man who's swinging a BB gun in the Walmart, toy gun in the Walmart. From the man who is reaching for his license and registration as you asked him to. For the boy with a BB gun on a playground. We understand that you were afraid. John is saying to us now in this place, gather strength. You are a loved child of God. You are given the power that God gives God's children to overcome the fear in your heart, to seek the love of Christ in your pursuit of justice and peace in this world, that peace is not only the absence of war, it is true reconciliation with other human beings. And the good news 
is that Jesus tells us we can change the story that we tell because the story does not begin in our fear and the story does not end in our fear, but the story certainly goes through our fear. Without that fear, we may not be redeemed into love. We may not be saved into action and reconciliation with one another. And just as John changed the story and Jesus changed the story, we have the power to change the story. And it begins in such a simple way, which is listening to the cries of those who seek justice. It starts by listening and understanding that all people are loved children of God with voices to be heard.